Welcome back, Cracked fans, to another edition of the Cracked Interviews Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. We've really been on a college tennis binge recently here at Cracked Rackets. We obviously got to head out to Chicago for the National Indoors. Saw so much great tennis there. If you want to hear our thoughts on that event, listen to our other podcast, The Great Shot Podcast. Myself, Chris Hallioris of College Tennis Ranks, Matt Stokowiak, uh, really broke down all of it for way too long. So, you know, if you've got a nice commute or something, it's the perfect pod for that. Be sure to check out our website, CrackedRackets.com, as well, where we've got a ton of content about all things going on in the tennis world. There's been a ton of action on the ATP side, obviously. A lot of young guys taking titles. We haven't had a chance yet to talk about Opelka winning in New York. That was awesome. But we'll get into all of that later. Uh, I've been talking for too long, and I have to bring on our guest. As you know, if you've listened to this podcast, I have an affinity for the University of Virginia men's tennis team. I've never hidden that, and we've talked to Ty Kwiatkowski. We've talked to J.C. Aragoni. We've talked to Brian Boland. It's only fitting that today's guest, uh, I think he got up to as high as number 35 in the ITF World Junior Rankings in singles. He was a two-time All-American and a member of the three-peat University of Virginia men's tennis Cavaliers. Luca Corrente. Welcome to the Cracked Interviews Pod. Thanks a lot for having me, man. I'm a big fan. I'm excited to, to join you guys and, uh, you know, really appreciate what you're doing for college tennis and, and tennis in general. So thanks for having me. Oh, I really appreciate you saying that. And, of course, I saw your tweet, and I would be remiss if I didn't tell you how thankful we are when we get, uh, you know, when we find out players like yourself are listening. Any feedback you guys have is always so important because we're really trying to make a different sort of product. So I really appreciate when you say the word, uh, the things like you did. Definitely. Uh, but I, I want to talk about you. I should say before we begin, get my other biases out of the way. Mm-hmm. I'm a big doubles guy. And okay. so, you know, I'm following the Virginia lineup over those four years. And who do I see slotted at one doubles all the time? <laughs> Luca Corintelli. So I've got a lot of doubles questions for you that okay, we'll get perfect. into as we go throughout this pod. But I, I want to start, you know, with you, how you got into the game of tennis. I know you're from Virginia originally. You know, mm-hmm. did your parents play the sport? How did you get involved with it? Yeah, um, neither of my parents played tennis. My dad played college basketball, and tennis wasn't really a big part of my life growing up until I was about nine or so. Moved to the D.C. area from New York, and uh, coincidentally, at the apartment building I was living at, we had a tennis court there. Didn't really know the rules. I was just trying to, you know, get out there with my dad and hit the ball as far as I could. Um, And, yeah, I mean, I think uh, started to play like two or three times a week with my dad and went to like the local YMCA after a couple of weeks, and um, you know, one of the coaches there thought that I was athletic, you know, was pretty big for my age and uh, recommended that I went to College Park, which was, you know, just really starting to get going. I think this was like 2003, 2004 at the time and went over to College Park, which is obviously so well known for developing juniors, um, you know, over the last 10 or 15 years and uh, met with one of the head coaches there and started going there consistently for about two years. And uh, when I was like 12 or 13, yeah, I was 12 years old. I started doing the full-time program there, doing the homeschooling and, and, and you know, traveling pretty consistently around the country for national tournaments. So that's sort of how I got um, into tennis. And then obviously, you know, moving down to Florida when I was 13. But that was uh, that was my introduction for sure. Well, it's not often that I get to – well, I guess it is more often nowadays than I'd like. But I, I get to interview someone who's my age. You were high school class of 2013, as yep. was I. And so thanks for repping us so well. That's why I feel like I was always a Virginia guy because it was our class. Yeah, um, our class. But, yeah, exactly. It's our class, so it's my success as well. You're welcome. Mm-hmm. Um, but just I, – I remember reading back in the day, and I was a huge tennis nerd, so I'll preface it by saying that. But 
I think I read Colette Lewis say something. You used to be into Taekwondo. Is that true? Uh, it was judo, actually. Yeah. Oh, so judo. Yeah, I did judo, you know, basically from like three until I was 13. When I moved down to Florida, I gave up judo entirely. But uh, basically from like the age of three till 13, I was like very much into judo, traveling probably just as much as I was for tennis. Um, and then when I moved to the D.C. area and went away from my academy that I was at in New York, sort of started to lose love for it and, um, you know, started to become obsessed with tennis and um, had to basically make that decision when I was 12 or 13 years old and, and I went with tennis. I mean, you're a big f***ing guy. And, yeah. like, I can only ma- – I feel like you, you must have always been. I can only imagine. Is there any translation from judo, maybe the footwork you picked up there, that you think might be applicable to your tennis success? Um, yeah, I mean, I think footwork, I think a lot of it's hand-eye coordination. A lot of stuff in judo happens very, very quickly. You know, you have to – be able to you know adjust to how um you know the guy that you're fighting is it's whether he's going to come for your legs whether he's going to try to take you down with uh, you know any time any kind of you know specific takedown so like you got to be aware at all times and i think um you know in tennis specifically it's so much you know reaction every single point is different all the conditions are different i think that sort of uh, helped me out with my hand-eye coordination and then probably more importantly the competitiveness you know when you're in a sport whether it's karate judo taekwondo i mean you're by yourself like you are in tennis and you don't really have time to ease into it or you know have an off day because you're going to get dropped on your ass if you're not if you're not locked <laughs> in uh in judo so i think that was really good for me growing up in general i think it toughened me up and uh, yeah really really thankful that i was introduced to a beautiful sport like judo for sure so that was a way better answer than that question deserved, and I appreciate you saying that because that was very professional. But I, this is a hypothetical scenario. Mm-hmm. You're a freshman on the team. You've yeah. got six foot seven Alex Damajan. Yeah. Tell me the judo moves came out. Uh, you know what? I was so obsessed with Damo when I was a freshman. <laughs> with his ability to play tennis, I mean, you can ask any of the guys. It was like a running joke on the team, but. My freshman year, I have never seen somebody hit the ball like Damo. And just like, (laughs) he's also the nicest guy ever. So there was no need to obviously get into it with him. I'm also pretty smart about it. So I don't know if I would pick a fight with Damo um, because he's a little bit like cuckoo and you don't know what he's capable of. But uh, no, Damo was the best. He was was an amazing team captain. And, um, you know, being on the team with him for a year was, dude, it was was insane. Some of the tennis and some of the stories that we have on Damo. Oh, and I look forward to talking about them in a little bit. I just, I can't imagine, because you're a big guy and the hazing that goes on, I just be like, I'm yeah. staying away from him. Like, if Ty comes back to the room one night, because I think he mentioned you guys room together freshman yeah. year, mm-hmm. are you like, dude, don't mess with me? Uh, the thing is, Ty and I, we lived together in Florida. So Ty knew sort of how I, you know, I mean, our relationship by the time we got to college was sort of established, and I knew what pissed him off, he knew what pissed me off, so we were... By the time we were in college, and you know, obviously there are situations where balls involved. Like we we know, we know what's going on, and we know sort of how to you know when it's time to back off and when it's time to like give each other. Shit. So, um, luckily with Ty, there were no run-ins, but I can't say that there weren't um, run-ins with some of the other guys. But it was all in good faith for sure. <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. Well, that's a perfect segue. You talk about going down to Boca. Uh, mm-hmm. Obviously, you're there with Ty, a guy you eventually go to college with. Mm-hmm. What is it like when you move away from your family at that age, when you're focusing on a sport so heavily? And, you know, it's obviously you made a great friend, a lifelong friend in Ty, Mm -hmm. but what is that, you know, loneliness and just that journey like? Yeah, I mean, it's tough. Looking back on it now, I think, you know, when you're 13, 14, your tennis was the only thing that was going on in my life. And, 
you know, it was really, really exciting. Obviously, it was super sad to leave home. Um, and, you know, you really don't get to see your parents that often, a couple times a year for a couple days here and there when you're not traveling. But, you know, at first I was so obsessed with tennis and I was like, man, I get to go down to Florida, live with seven, eight other guys that are my age, and we get to just play tennis all day, every day. And it was unbelievable. At the same time, I will say, you know, after a year or two, once you become 15 or 16, that gets pretty exhausting. And I think, um, you know, obviously there are so many advantages to going down to Boca and tennis being the, the biggest part of my life for so long. But at the same time, like, you know, as you sort of continue developing, it, it becomes challenging as well. And I think there was a moment, you know, where I felt a little bit exhausted and burnt out. And luckily, you know, as tennis players, college tennis is an option. And I felt like that really gave me like a second life almost and a second appreciation for the game. And is is it also part of the burnout? Obviously, you're playing tennis constantly, but the mm-hmm. constant travel as well, going across the country, just never being home for long stretches. Yeah, I mean, 14 years old, you're living out of a suitcase. And besides the travel and, and all the fatigue from going from city to city, state to state, you know, sometimes country to country, it's also a lot of pressure. I mean, being a USTA kid was was tough because, you, you know, everybody sort of, you know wants to get after you wants to beat the usta kid there are expectations being within the usta that hey like you know you're going to be training down at the usta facility you're going to be traveling on our dime like you got to you know you got to make sure that you're having good results as well so you know by the time i was 15 or 16 i dealt with so much adversity and so much stress that um you know it, it weighed on me but again i think it you know really made me stronger as i'm you know 23 years old now i feel like it's really helped me um just overall in life for sure yeah, and we'll, we'll have a lighthearted question now. You know, keep this answer PG, but what does 14-, 15-year-old Luca Corintelli bring around in the suitcase he's living out of? I mean, you got to go with the Xbox. I was a big <laughs> Xbox guy. Every you place. traveled with the box? Oh, yeah. Travel, man, we had to hide it, too, because we weren't allowed to have it because <laughs> the coaches knew that we were, you know, addicts. So, you know, obviously we, we had to bring the Xbox, uh, you know, big FIFA, Madden, 2K, uh, were always the go-tos, so the Xbox was making it on every trip. Um, gosh, what else? I mean... What's your 2K team? Oh, I mean, it depends which 2K. 2K19, the Bucks. I'm not just going to... I just love <laughs> playing with Giannis because he's like a cheat code. I mean, the guy can get from one side of the court to the other in like three steps. Um, and the Thunder, yeah, too. You, the Thunder you too. seem They've like a Bucks go-to. guy. Yeah, oh, no. Thunder would be good. Yeah, Thunder's great. Um, PG, Paul George has been unstoppable lately, so it's been helping my 2K, so, um, but yeah, no, I mean, traveling with the Xbox was definitely a way for us to disconnect, but we, I mean, there are certain guys that, like, you just couldn't give an Xbox to that they would play for, like, 18 (laughs) hours straight and show up on Monday morning, like, bloodshot eyes, so, yeah, we got some for that. See, I I like to think of myself as a Jewish Nikola Jokic. I don't really okay. know what the Jewish component has to do with anything, but just okay. also ground-bound, I suppose. Okay. Um, and I love playing with Denver. Oh, yeah. it's fun. That's actually a team we, that I've been, like, really thinking about playing with. I don't know. Like, I, I like shooting a lot. I know that, like, Jokic can – you can stretch oh, the floor with him, but – Murray and Harris on the wings, it's fun. Yeah, it's fun. I'm, I might have to go with that then. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we we can get back to tennis. You you talk about the success you have. You make a finals of Kalamazoo, a finals of Easter Bowl. Mm-hmm. You know, you had, I'm sure, all of your college options open to you, but you also had that option of maybe trying the pro circuit, just getting out there right away. You know, what ultimately led you to the decision of going to college, and was the pro tour something you thought about beforehand? Uh, yeah, I mean, I thought about it here and there especially when i was doing really well when i was 16 i mean a lot of my success probably had to do with the fact that i was like double the size of everybody else at that point 
Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I wanted to, I was obsessed with tennis. I wanted to pursue a professional career. Um, and probably by the time I was, you know, 17, closing out the junior, my junior year, I wasn't doing quite as well. And I realized like to be able to make it on the pro tour, it's like, I mean, you've got to be able to do it week in and week out. And like you said, I would have certain weeks where I would, you know, have a big result and get to the finals of Easter bowl and, and beat a lot of these guys that were probably doing consistently better than me. But to do it as a living, like you got to be able to do it week in and week out. And I didn't think that I was necessarily ready for that um, in terms of my actual tennis. And then mentally too, um, you know, it's a full-time job and you can't really take it, um, you know, lightly and you got to be fully invested. And at that moment I was a little bit burnt out, like I said, and I didn't know if it was probably the best decision for me to go pro. So going to college, like I said, was, you know, uh, a breath of fresh air to say the least. And it definitely made me feel better about tennis and, and my passion towards it. One of the all-time photos, and I, we may have to release it when we release this podcast, you next to Ronnie in that 16 finals photo. <laughs> I mean, you're a full, you know, human. And Ronnie at best now is, what, 5'6", five, 5'7"? Five, yeah. yeah. And, I mean, he was maybe 5'3". That It's just, it's quite the photo. Yeah, he made up for it in heart. I think I was, that Kalamazoo final, I might have, might have been 6'2 <laughs> two and a half, 230. And I think Ronnie, like you said, was a 5'4", maybe. So, uh, yeah, his heart made up for it, though. He got me in the end. <laughs> It's true. I know, though, in that semifinal that year, you beat your future teammate, J.C. Aragoni. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure you knew of him, and obviously we talked about your relationship with Ty, but when you're making that decision to go to college, was it something where, you know, I just want to find the university that's best for me, or did you make calls to other guys and say, hey, like, let, maybe let's team up. Let's try and do something fun. Yeah, do the LeBron thing, right? No, I, I mean, <laughs> in a way, you know, because I was so close with Ty, and, um, you know, I was close with J.C., but not as close as I was with Ty, um, he actually like came like on my official recruiting trip. Ty like tagged along, and you know we had both had you know, conversations with Boland, and obviously his parents went there. And because I was from Virginia, and we both worked with Andres growing up at the USTA before you know he went to become the assistant coach, we had a feeling that we might end up going to the same college, and it being Virginia. Um, but you know, going through the recruiting process. Um, and understanding, like, man, there's going to be a couple of spots. They have some seniors graduating, and it doesn't seem like this train is slowing down anytime soon. I think it was really, really easy for all of us once we, you know, visited and understood sort of the team dynamic at that point. It was um, really hard to turn down. You know, Brian Boland, obviously a character well-known in college tennis now, Mm -hmm. but you got the experience to have, you know, Brian Boland when he wants something from you, when he's trying to get you to recruit. And, you know, he he doesn't quite have the mullet like he used to, Mm -hmm. but when he walks in the room with that slicked back hair and that Brian Boland, you know, jaw and confidence, what is he he pitching to you? I mean, he can pitch whatever he wants, and I'll buy it. I mean, (laughs) Brian is... Like, I mean, I would head into meetings with Brian where I was either, like, displeased with something or I was convinced that I was going to change his mind about something. And I'd walk out, and I was basically preaching what he had just told me. And I'm like, God, he got me again. Like, he is, <laughs> he's really, really good. But, no, I mean, through the recruiting process, he was amazing. I feel like both him and Andres, like I said, I had a previous relationship with Andres from the USTA. I mean, these guys were um, – yeah, I could feel it from the beginning that these guys were, you know, more invested in sort of my personal growth, not as much as a, as a tennis player, but more more so as a you know, human being. And I know that's kind of, you know, corny or cliche to say, but, you know, I think at that point, I don't really know how the NCAA rules have changed now, but I think you had like three uh, connect or uh, whatever, three times that you could talk to somebody off of campus at that point or something like that. And the first time that they had spoken to me, they didn't pitch Virginia whatsoever. I was kind of going through a rough patch uh, at the end of my junior uh, year in high school and, you know, was losing passion for the game, was, you know, losing first round of qualities and futures. And these guys basically were just there for me and trying to, 
helped me out and, and um, you know, we didn't talk about Virginia whatsoever. And I think that that stood out to me as like, you know what, these guys seem like they're invested in me as an individual, not so much as like an asset to their team. And that stood out to me. And I was like, you know what, I'd probably want to be a, a part of a program that's, um, you know, treating me like a family member without me even committing to them yet. So that definitely stood out. And I think that approach has helped Brian um, across the board. He's very much family oriented and everybody that's been a part of his team, I think will say the same thing. If you were to give advice to people going through that college recruiting process now, would it be fair to say, and uh, correct me obviously if I'm wrong, but look for that family aspect, look for a team where it's more than just the tennis. And that's obviously very cliche, but that's mm-hmm. something when you're in that team environment you can feel, right? Yeah, no, and I think it depends on the individual. I mean, I know certain coaches go with that approach like Brian has, and then there are other coaches that maybe are a little bit different that are either, you know, uh, more strict and discipline and, and you know it depends on what you're going for I mean there are certain guys that are going into college tennis and they're like you know what the only thing that I care about is improving my game and uh, I want to get in and out of there as, as quickly as possible get as many high competitive matches as I can and, and I'm on my way and I think for the people that are going there with that intention or whatever other intentions I think that it really depends on the type of coach and program that you're looking for you know in my case that's what stood out to me and I think that's why it sort of depends on the individual and what their main priorities are going into college tennis. And that's how I can tell you finished your college education because that was a fine answer. Well done. Um, yeah, of course. Uh, I mean, what does my opinion matter? But well done. Um, so getting to your transition to college, obviously on a tennis note, you're joining uh, a team that's coming off of their first national title in program history. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, they lose Jameer Jenkins at one. Uh, they may have lost – no, and Julian Jurgen at six. Yep. But still, you're coming in with a class. It's you. It's Ty. It's JC. You know, Jordan Daigle at mm-hmm. the time. Just so much talent returning back still. Uh, Damajan Richmond, the Shames. Yeah. What What's it like when you hop into that sort of environment where I have to imagine the competition is just out of this world? Yeah, it was it was crazy. I mean, we had such a big team. I mean, you just mentioned that obviously Jameer and Julian graduated, but you know we had Damo coming back, Mitchell, Ryan wasn't even in the singles lineup. I don't think consistently that his freshman year. So you had Ryan, who obviously ends up winning a national championship, and he was going to be in the lineup, and then all four of the freshmen were. I'm pretty sure top 10 um, in the recruiting class coming in. So I think like for us, we were so immature. We were going in and being like, Hey, I want to be the man. I want to get in there and make the biggest impact. I want to be playing. And that sort of like selfish um, perspective definitely hurt us our freshman year. I think it was interesting because instead of kind of coming together as a team, everybody was trying to make a case for why they should be in a lineup and why, or, or, or why somebody else shouldn't. And, you know, that's where you sort of have all this talent. And at times that can hurt a team because you don't know how to channel it and it ends up sort of boiling over, I think. And that's what hurt us uh, that my freshman year. And you, you talk about just having so much talent. It really is a thing sometimes when you have too much talent. It's it's hard to figure out what to do with it. And yeah. I talked to Coach Bull, and he talked about he played with the doubles lineup so much that year. And you talked about everyone wanting to make their case for why they should be in the lineup. Is it frustrating having been a top 10 recruit? You come in and you're playing doubles sparingly. You're playing yeah. you know, back-end singles, if at all. Does that get frustrating, and how do you cope with that? Yeah, I think it was really frustrating, especially, like, I mean, I, I, I thought that I was, now looking back on it, I was pretty immature, but I think my freshman year, I might have had a conversation about redshirting with Brian or with Andres, and I took it, like, very personally, and I was like, man, I I was 30-something in the world in ITF, and I, <laughs> you know, beat some of the guys that are going to be playing top three at other top five schools, like, 
there's no way I'm, uh, I'm, you know, I'm not going to redshirt. And looking back on it now, I'm like, man, if I could have one more year of college tennis, I would do anything <laughs> for it, you know? Um, and I think, yeah, it, it became frustrating because I felt like I, you know, accomplished enough and I felt like I was good enough to play on almost any team in the country. But, you know, you had seven or eight other guys that were in the same position as me or if not better. Um, and that was hard for me to swallow. And again, I think it was hard for a lot of the young guys to swallow. And it led to a lot of tension, unnecessary tension in the team that definitely held us back. Because I don't know, I think that team that, that my freshman year could very well be just as good as any of the teams that won it. But that team <laughs> dynamic definitely held us back. Well, we're saving our which Virginia team is the best segment till the end. I have okay. takes that I, I promise I will run by you. And, you know, yeah, I, I'm sure you guys have to talk about that, right? Yeah. It, it comes up. Oh, yeah, it comes up all the time. <laughs> Good. Well, then we'll save that for a little bit yeah. later. But I also remember, I think it was JC who told me your freshman year, I think you guys went into like an orgo exam or a chem exam, mm. and it just did not go well. And no. so you talk about that transition as well on the academic front. Obviously, Virginia, one of the best public schools in the country. How is it for you when you're making that transition as well? And then, you know, all the social stuff that comes with your freshman year of college. Yeah, no, that was really, really challenging for me as well. I mean, uh, I don't know how it is now, but a lot of us were homeschooled, at least my recruiting class and, and that generation of USTA kids were obviously homeschooled. And like I said, tennis was priority number one. And I felt like going into a school like Virginia that's really strong academically, like the first six months was really challenging because I felt so far behind everybody else. And I felt like it was so hard for me to be able to take notes on time and to really understand and uh you know, keep up with a lot of the classes that I was taking. I mean, I wasn't taking like, you know, calc and anything that was outrageous, but it was still hard for me because I went from trying to teach myself and doing online school to being at one of the best institutions in the country. So yeah, me and JC were in the same boat. We took, uh, I think it was bio. <laughs> the class, the book for the class was called bio for dummies. And we went into that first exam thinking like, man, this can't be that hard. Like, it's an intro class. There is 150 people in here. And I think he got, like, a 44, and I got, like, a 49 or something like that. And, and we definitely got a call from Bowling the next day being like, man, you guys need to get to the tutors the ASAP or else this is not going to work. <laughs> well, yeah, and it, it helps when you have, you know, that team that you get to hang out with as well. You have a group of friends already built in. And mm -hmm. as you talk about, the tennis is underway, you know, or it, it's a high level right away. So what is it like balancing that? And what advice would you give to any student athletes who are still going through that, balancing the academics and the tennis? Yeah, I think uh, it's probably probably the most challenging part of a of a freshman year for a student athlete is being able to have time management skills to not feel overwhelmed. I think you know, obviously, sleep is really important, so you got to make sure that you're really disciplined with how much time you're investing in your studies, um, how much time, obviously, you're in, you know in the gym, on the court, and then you got to be making it to class every day. So, if you sort of let go and you start procrastinating or you're not too disciplined on on time management, you start falling behind and you start getting to sleep late, and it's sort of like a domino effect. So. I think, um, you know, it took me a couple of months to find exactly how I operated best. But once I was able to figure it out, um, I think it, it definitely helped out. But I think it's a, a challenge that freshmen face, you know, across all sports, um, you know, just being able to adjust to like a completely new environment.
Yeah, and I, I do want to talk about some tennis, and I promise we will. But my last uh, question, just related to the transition point, I think something we're seeing emerge not only in tennis but in a lot of college sports now, transferring is much more of a thing than it used to be. And you look at your team, you know, you guys had players transfer out. It happens on every team, even the you know back-to-back-to-back national champions. Guys want to play. And I'm just mm-hmm. curious as a player what you think of that growing trend of people, you know, uh, transferring and if you you know are, are you fine with that do you think it's a viable path for people who you know want a change yeah i think i mean again it just depends on the individual and i think everybody has their right to you know go about this that type of a decision and and, and look out for their best interests um you know personally for me again like i went in didn't play much i didn't play barely any singles at all besides some of the lower ranked schools my freshman year was in and out of doubles um, and I can't say that, you know, I never thought about transferring. I definitely thought about like, you know what, I want to maybe play at a school that's ranked 10 or 12 in the country and play higher in the lineup and sort of continue and, and hope that I can make something out of my make something out of my tennis career. And, um, you know, it sort of boiled down to, OK, you know, eventually I think the ball stops bouncing for everybody. And um, that's something that we kept hearing a lot, you know, just from team meetings. And, you know, as you sort of become more and more mature as a student athlete, you start realizing like there's a little bit more outside of tennis. Um, and for me, like just being a part of that type of an environment, being around somebody like Brian and Andres and with Dustin coming in and everybody in that program, I thought that I'd be doing myself a favor if I stayed, regardless of the situation in terms of tennis, um, you know, for my professional and personal career. I thought that there was so much that I learned about leadership and about being a part of a team like we had. And I think at the end of the day, looking back on it now, I'm really happy that I stayed because obviously we had so many unbelievable moments. And, you know, I felt like, you know, I played a, a part in, in, you know, continuing the dynasty that was built um, in the years before me. So I think, you know, guys need to just figure out what exactly they're trying to get out of college tennis and make the decision there. Uh, let's talk now about building that dynasty. You guys, that that year before, uh, your freshman year, you lose to USC in the semifinals. Mm-hmm. Such a talented team. But then that next year, you know, you lose Damajan, you lose Shane. And it's a younger team. You you don't get go flying out of the gates. You don't win the indoors that year. I think you lose in the quarterfinals to Baylor, if my memory. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was the semi. Uh, and then, you know, you continue to figure things out as the year goes along. And I'm just curious, that off season after you guys lose, what does that look like? How do you guys come together and, you know, kick it into gear to push off the success that you ended up having? Yeah, I think losing in uh, in Athens our freshman year was, I mean, it sucked so much, but it honestly was the best thing that I think could have happened to the program, at least for my recruiting class and for the guys that came in after us. The way that we felt when we were leaving Athens and we you know, lost to USC was a feeling that I never wanted to feel ever again because I felt like there were so many things that were on our, like in our control that we didn't do correct. And we left that year with regret in terms of, you know, like I said before, the team dynamic was not good. A lot of that's in your control, being able to be unselfish and being able to just play for the team and do what's best for the team. And I think going into that offseason, you know, we were able to channel that, you know, we put all the BS aside, we put all the negative sort of distractions aside. And our number one goal, you know, a lot of teams say, hey, we want to win the national championship this year. We want to do this. We want to do that. Our number one goal, and you can look back in all the interviews and all the, you know, articles that came out, we just wanted to leave every single year without any regrets and there's only so many things that you can control um especially in college tennis because the margins are so small that anything that's in your control you want to be able to do it the right way and um i think that's what really helped us out i mean again i came in knowing that again i'm probably not going to be playing singles my second year you got henrik coming in 
You got um, JC, who looks like he's going to be playing six. And that didn't bother me because I just didn't want to feel what I felt at the, uh, you know, at the end of my freshman year. And I think as a team, we were able to understand, understand that, and it really helped us going forward. JC at six will be one of the most – it's still one of the most amazing things <laughs> seeing the success he's had now. I mean the depth was crazy. People have talked this year about, oh, there's no standout team. I don't think that's fair. You, I mean you guys had a unique amount of talent, and I'm, you, know, you're talking, you talked about it a little bit earlier. One of the guys, not the highest recruits, but developed into such a great player during his time at UVA, your doubles partner your sophomore year, Ryan Shane. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Now R- Ryan – I, I'm saying this, you know, third way. All right, he's way better than me. I like it. That's very clear, and I that's preface. But still, not the most natural volleyer. He he slaps no. a lot. You know, he he's a slapper. And yeah. so I'm just curious, what was it? I I often say, uh, my doubles partner Max Rothman, who I played with uh, during mm-hmm. club, it, it, it's a relationship. You're in a relationship. Yeah. You're committed. It's physical. It's mental. You're t- asking each other what's wrong. All of these things. What's it like when you get to play with a guy like him? Oh, it was so much fun. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I mean, Ryan is a guy that you have to keep it as simple as possible with Ryan. Obviously, everybody knows the guy hits absolute shit out of the ball, and he could literally <laughs> probably put a hole through somebody if he hits dead on. But it was a lot of fun for me because, you know, I like to clean up at the net. I don't like to – I can't say that I love being on the baseline. And me and Ryan sort of understood, and we meshed well together because he did not want to be at the net. He can't really volley. I mean, he couldn't volley at times. He definitely got better <laughs> as as we were – you know, in college, his volleys improved big time, but he does not feel comfortable up there, and he didn't when we were in school. So it worked out well because, you know, where his weaknesses were, were you know, where my strengths were and vice versa. So, um, you know, I would keep it really simple with him. He was a guy who obviously was playing at the top of the singles lineup, but he was so receptive to information. And, um, you know, he was listening to me as a number seven or eight singles guy and, you know, taking advice when it came to the double court. So I think, again, the dynamic and us being really good friends helped, uh, helped us succeed a lot. Uh, word on the street is he's quite the goofball as well. Any, uh, any yeah. funny stories on that note? The biggest goofball. I mean, he does not, I mean, he does not stop joking 24-7. He's the type <laughs> of guy where we'll have a serious team meeting. There's something, like, horrible going on. And Ryan's the first one to make the inappropriately timed joke. He's the first one to you know give somebody when it's way too early after something has gone wrong but everybody knows that just ryan's personality is a massive goofball and uh yeah i mean there's the stories can go on forever i mean he is definitely <laughs> he has definitely done some things that uh we probably can't discuss on the podcast <laughs> well maybe i'll ask you about them off of yeah i mean yeah. you can tell even from the little things i've seen uh you know that sophomore year as well as i mentioned you lost to baylor indoors i think you also went there and lost them during the season and then mm-hmm. you end up going there for ncaa's you're matching up against them in a you know at home ncaa semifinal hostile environment mm-hmm. what what's it like when you go through a match like that yeah i mean baylor had beaten us like you said twice already that year and that team was really really good i mean they had guys that were like 30 <laughs> i thought you were gonna say really re- yeah there it is. I thought you were going to say really, really old. Yeah, no, they were definitely really old, but that team was tough as nails. Obviously, like, you know, they beat us indoors. They beat us shorthanded when we went there uh, a couple, like, weeks after indoors. Um, and they, I don't think they lost anybody besides Oklahoma yet. And they were playing at home in front of, like you said, a hostile crowd. Um, and it really took, like, a heroic effort across the board. I mean, we lost a doubles point, which we were banking on um, after, I'm pretty sure, like, we won on two that day, and I think JC and Colin were 
up on breaker i believe yeah yeah, yeah we should have won the doubles point and we saw it slip and i mean i think right afterwards i remember being like wow this is just like usc where we could have won the doubles point and it's going to be the deciding factor in this match and i think everybody i don't know if you know this but like i think it all started with colin after we lost the doubles point during the handshake he shook one of the baylor guys hands like as hard as i've ever seen and he ran to the bathroom and came back and like the guy looked like he was ready to be like ready for war and i remember in the team meeting we were like listen man like if we go out like we got to leave everything and i mean everything out on the court these guys have to like carry us out of here um and you sort of started i mean ryan who had lost the lens earlier in the year was feeling it that day uh and things started to turn as the match went and i was like man this feels a little bit different i think we can get it done and um you know some of our most clutch guys were on court last and that made me feel really good and obviously mitchell came through colin came through and uh jc did as well who else won that day was uh, it? i believe is colin jc uh, oh and uh oh ryan ryan won easily and ryan yeah ryan won so you know that was that was massive for us i think once we got that once once we were able to beat baylor at baylor that like completely shifted our um you know our, our mindset going into the finals that year we felt really really confident but that type of moment, it's defining, right? It's something you can 100%. always look back to. And I, mm. I, that was really the catalyst for your run. And, you, you know, I should have asked this earlier, but I, I mentioned I'm a big doubles guy. And mm. I, I'm just curious, knowing what you do now about college tennis, how important is that doubles point? How did you get amped up for it? You know, what did you guys view, uh, the, you know, did you view it as the most important point? Yeah, I think uh, I can answer that two ways. When you said it's a defining moment, I think specifically, uh, like, you know, when, for example, when Ty lost that day to Galliano, um, I can't say Ty, and I think he'll be the first one to tell you, he didn't really put in a full effort. And he, we, we were really fortunate that we pulled it out, but that was like a defining moment for Ty where he was like, man, shit, I can never do this again because I could have definitely been the reason why we didn't win today. So if you look back on Ty in – uh, 2016 and tying 2017 whether or not he won or lost the guy was put in a full effort so I think that was definitely a career you know college at least defining moment for Ty and then in terms of doubles um, you know it changed between sophomore and then I think the junior and senior year because the format changed but mm-hmm. for me it was all about energy and I think Brian was the one who preached it from the beginning and I think I sort of took on the role of trying to lead the doubles courts when we were playing um and it all comes it all comes down to energy and it all comes down to having that flow between courts one through three and making sure that you know again energy is one of the few things that you can control and if you guys are amped up and you know you guys are ready to go from the first ball because the margins again are so small in a in a short set uh you give yourself the best chance to win so i think that's probably the most important thing about a doubles point more so than skill at times more so than than strategy i think the energy Without energy, you you could lose to a team that's nowhere near the level that you're supposed to be playing at. So I think energy is by far the most important thing for a doubles point. And you talk about the energy you guys brought out in that national championship against Oklahoma. One of the rare times you win all three courts. You know, the match points yeah. happen to be going simultaneously, and you sweep all three. Were you guys at that point like, oh, man, we, we might have this? Honestly, we won the doubles point against them in Norman that year, and we ended up losing. So... And, like, Oklahoma was notorious that year for losing the doubles point and coming back and winning singles because they also had an insane team. So, luckily, we were like, listen, these guys have done it, like, 15 times already this year. They burned us already once after winning the doubles point. Like, you got to come out of the gates hot or else this is going to be a war. And uh, I don't remember how many first sets we won that day, but I'm pretty sure it was it was comfortable. Um, and, you know, we ended up going, you know, going away with a 4-1 win. It was 
definitely more competitive than that. But I think, um, you know, that definitely helped us to lose to them earlier in the season and understand how important it is that we sort of take the momentum from doubles into singles. And I think that was one of the main reasons why we won that day. And I, I have to ask, you obviously get three in your time there, but is the first one the sweetest in terms of national titles? Oof. Um, yeah, the first one was sweet because, like, I don't – I mean, yeah, we were one of the favorites, but I don't know if we were the clear-cut favorite to win it that year. Um, so I think the first one, just to get the monkey off your back, was probably the sweetest, but they're all equally, like, unbelievable, and each one of them was, like, a different journey. So, um, yeah, I mean, they were, on, they were uh, amazing moments for sure. I mean, if I remember correctly, I, I've seen the highlights too many times. That's when you guys started the Gatorade bath, right, on Coach Boland? No, I think they started the Gatorade bath in 13 when they won it in Champaign. And, yeah, like, I mean, can... there were there were like posters all around campus, or, you know, whether you're in the dining hall or like of Brian being Dalston, whatever it was <laughs> in Gatorade. And, you know, that was sort of like, oh, man, like we want to be able to do that. And, and especially going in, we had won the ACC's like, uh, you know, I think like eight or nine times in a row. So, you know, we, we couldn't do it for the ACC's. But once we were able to do it in, in, in Waco, that was like sort of a, you know, a, a trend that we kept going. That was probably like the highlight of, of the celebration for sure. And, and in terms of transitioning, obviously we will talk more about national titles, but you, you talked about this in an earlier answer, so I, w- I want to just touch on it real quick. The doubles format changes the next year, right? You go to no ad scoring, a setup to six. Uh, same thing with the singles. Singles changes to no ad. Is that the biggest focus for your team in going into that offseason, despite bringing back all of the talent you did that next year? Because it's a completely new ball game with no ad. Yeah, no, it changed the dynamic for sure. And I think at first, you know, everybody in the country was complaining because it's something new and it's uncomfortable. And uh, I can't say that I loved it, you know, off the bat. But, you know, once I started playing in a lot of these no ad or, you know, short set no ad matches, you realize how many important points there are. And like it just sort of amplifies a lot of these situations and makes their, you know, as a, as a competitor, it makes it more fun because like literally it could be the first game of a doubles point, uh, a doubles match. And that could be the deciding factor if you win the double set or not. So it was very, you know, engaging. And I think we sort of embraced that after a while and understood, like, listen, this is here to stay. We might as well make the most of it and try to find the positive aspects of it. And I think, um, you know, it didn't take us too long to, to get used to it because, it, you know, it, everybody has to deal with it. It's not like we're the only ones dealing with no ads. So, you know, once we were able to get over that, I think, um, yeah, I think we were able to manage it pretty well. And looking back now, are you pro or against no ad scoring in college tennis? Uh, I'm, I'm, I think I'm, I'm, I'm for it. I'm, I'm pro no ad scoring again. Like I said, as a as a spectator, it brings so many more. I mean, deuce points are, are are amazing because it's you know the highest pressure moment in a in a match. A lot of times you'll see a five all in the third deuce point, or you'll see you know early in a set you'll see a deuce point. Like these are big momentum shifts in in matches. So I'm all about it. Anything to make it more exciting, I think, uh, is good for college tennis. I completely agree with you. I, it's so uh, the doubles point is the most thrilling moment in tennis, and I know I'm biased, and I'm sure you are as well. For sure, but it just, yeah, you have, it's the most important thing about all of college tennis. Doubles is <laughs> doubles is number one. Well, it's just so it's just so energetic. As you mentioned, you have three courts all playing next to each other. You don't have to swerve your head looking all around like the six courts for singles. And you're right; one swing of a deuce point on one court can lead to another deuce point on another court, and it's just mm-hmm. amazing how that momentum works and it is what makes the no ad scoring us so 
intriguing, at least, and such a fun part of college tennis. Now, you talked about that ACC streak. Your mm-hmm. junior year, you guys yeah. make the finals of the national indoors at home. I think you had won 136 ACC matches in a row. Mm-hmm. And you win the doubles point. You know, It looked for a second like you were going to run away with that match against North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And then you know you have really your biggest hiccup of the next of your three national title runs, losing that final to North Carolina. What's it like when a setback like that happens? Yeah, that one was really tough to swallow because you know after we won the doubles point, I think you were asking me about it for you know the 2015 final. After we won the doubles point, I was like, you know what, I think that this could be a runaway train because you know in my mind I was thinking Henrik was a lock at six. The guy won a future like two months before that without losing a set. <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking, you know, JC's always big in big moments. The guy's playing five. He's playing indoors, probably his best surface. I don't know. I was just convinced that we had it done. I don't think Schnur had beaten Ryan at that point. I think Ryan had beaten him up a couple times already. So I was thinking this could be like a quick 4-0, 4-1 final. And very quickly, we realized that it was going to be an absolute war. And, um, yeah, no, that was that was really tough to swallow. I mean, credit goes out to UNC because they had everything against them that day, obviously playing on the road. Um, not having been to a you know a national championship before, I think that was like the furthest they had been at national indoors. I don't know, I don't know if they'd been to a final at that point yet. Um, but you know everything was against them, and they they were just too tough that day. They came out and they took it away from us, and um, yeah, that sucked for a while. But again, I think we kind of turned it into a positive, and it it was one of the driving factors that we didn't want to have to feel that again for a while. So. Um, yeah, that moment was tough, but you know, I was glad to be able to get it uh, the following year. Yeah, but I, I want to just on the streak, I, and I, I don't want to talk about you know. I, I promise I won't make you dwell on it ending. But oh, no, when you're playing, I mean, it, 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 there were there were a lot of positives, so you got to be able to deal with yeah. negative moments as well. Exactly, but when you know it's win a hundred fifteen, a hundred twenty five. Yeah. What's it like when you're playing with that burden in every ACC match? Even though you guys on paper. We're usually the most talented team, at least at the beginning of your time in Virginia. Um, you know, what's it like when you're playing with that added stress of, well, we, you know, I think there was a Clemson match your freshman year where it came dangerously well, close. Yeah, that one was really scary. I mean, I thought we were going to lose it on that Clemson one. To be honest, once we were able to, like, get the streak, I think it was against Wake Forest or I don't we, we, yeah, it was one of the end of the regular season in my freshman year was when we actually broke the streak. We never actually discussed it after that. You know, once the streak was done and, you know, it got up to 100, 110, 120, we didn't really talk about it. And I don't think it was too much more pressure after that. I think more so once, you know, the articles came out, the streak was over. That's when it sort of set in. And we're like, man, like we were we were the team that, that you know, lost the streak. Um, that one, that, that was probably tougher. But I can't say that it added uh, any additional pressure because, you know, it, we all knew eventually it was going to end. The ACC started to, started to get really, really strong with, both Wake, UNC, and it was a battle, you know, almost every single match. So it was inevitable, and it definitely sucked that we had to lose it in the finals of uh, National Indoors. And one other suckish moment, and this will be our last suckish one of the pod, I promise. Mm-hmm. Um, ACC tournament final. Obviously, yeah. you're you're playing six singles. It comes down to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just I, because that moment is so rare when it's a you know a third a three all match for a conference mm-hmm. tournament on the line. What's yeah. going through your head while you're playing that match? And just, you know, talk about that experience because it is really, it, despite losing, what what a thrill that had to have been. Yeah, no, it was uh, obviously very hard hard for me to, you know, we had, that was another streak that broke because I think we won, I don't know, like 10 or 11 ACC tournament championships in a row. But 
uh, yeah, it just all happened really fast. I mean, I think that day I was up like a set in 4-1 on six, and it seemed like guys were cruising, all of a sudden lose a second set, and, you know, go into a third, went up a break in the third, and I remember looking up and seeing Henrik up 3-0 in the third, and I didn't look at the scoreboard anymore after that. And all of a sudden, I noticed, you know, everybody sort of come onto my court, and I, I was like, wow, Henrik, Henrik lost that one. I didn't think he was going to lose it up 3-0 in the third on um, – on uh, Seraphim and all of a sudden it was just like okay well I guess it's going to come down to me luckily I'm up a break but you know I was up a break in a second and I, I can't really let up on the gas and honestly those are the moments that like you know you obviously want to come through for the team and it was it was really hard for me to to get over that loss I felt like you know we put ourselves in a position to win we were backs against the wall losing the doubles point you know I had match in the bag in the second set had uh, break points at five all in the third and then the serve went in the breaker and, and ended up losing and you know, the first day or two after that was really, really painful. But, you know, again, I know this is kind of cliche, but instead of my team sort of being like, man, like you were the reason we lost or whatever it was, these guys were unbelievable. And it made me feel way better going into the NCAA tournament because that's a that's a moment where you can literally, as a tennis player, because, you know, our minds are so fragile, that could ruin somebody for a while. And I didn't really have that much time because I did play a pretty big role in doubles that year. And it it needed to be, you know, on point for us to try to win another national championship. And I was able to, you know, with the help of my teammates and coaches, sort of gather myself to be able to perform well in doubles at the NCAA tournament since I knew Richard was coming back. And, you know, again, it's not the equivalent, you know, as, you know, being a three all singles match, but I was, you know, the last one on for the finals against Oklahoma in doubles. And it was like five all on my serve, 30 40, I think. And I remember feeling that same feeling that I felt um, at the ACC tournament. And to be able to sort of hold, you know, hit two good serves and hold and, and, and play pretty clutch in that moment definitely made me feel better about myself. But that was, um, that was you know, a special moment, but it was, you know, tough at the same time. Perfect transition. You talk about that match. I've seen the high. I, on the deuce point, you hit like a let cord serve, right? Yeah, I think it was um, I went forehand body. It was like a light leg court serve. <laughs> and I don't know how Ryan, because Ryan was known for, if the ball was anywhere in his reach, he touched it regardless if it was going to take down the fence or not. I can't say Ryan's biggest strength <laughs> is his eye. Um, and somehow he let the ball go, and it was like an absolute miracle. But it was like a light let, so, uh, let court to Alvarez, who had gotten me on a couple forehand returns during that match. I mean, he had like eight return winners that day. Um, you know, and I think uh, the 30-41 was a, a first serve to Harris's back, and Ryan, again, miraculously made the first volley, and we were able to get that hold. But, um, yeah, that was that was, uh, that was was a big moment in the match. Yeah, and after taking an emotional doubles point, I'll also die on the hill of it's so much harder to watch tennis that you're invested in the result than mm-hmm. it is to actually play in those moments. How hard is it for you when you're, you know, watching one through six, all these guys battling, and you're just like, man, I want to be out there. Yeah, I mean, it's tough, obviously, as a, as a tennis player and, and just knowing my personality. I'm not a control freak, but I'd love to be in the arena and I'd love to, you know, sort of uh, play a little bit more of a role in, in being able to put another point on the board. Uh, having said that, the guys one through six were pretty damn good at tennis, so I got to sit <laughs> back and watch unbelievable tennis on every single court, and a lot of the guys were so locked in. Watch they pros. Were, you, you knew what you were getting from Henrik. You knew what you were getting from J.C., so it wasn't as much anxiety as you would imagine um, because I knew what these guys were made of and I knew I saw it every single day in practice that if these guys are, you know, locked in, if these guys play well, I think, you know, the match is in our favor because these guys are some of the best tennis players in the country playing 
you know, one through six. So um, that was that was special uh, to have on the team. And I know it's going to sound like you just flattering your own teammates, of course, but I'm asking this genuinely. At the time, you got to play with these guys, you know, including Henrik for three years, where you're playing with, you know, Weirsholm, as you mentioned, Futures Champion, JC, Top 250, Ty, Top 250, Richard, Top 500, uh, Ryan Chain, Mm -hmm. Top 400, all of these pro talents. Were, yeah. You know, were, were you conscious of that at the time of, oh, my God, like, these guys have professional aspirations. Like, they, they can really do it. Yeah. No, I think uh, especially I – mean, we, uh, we have a challenger, obviously, in Charlottesville, and these guys played a lot of professional tournaments. I mean, I, I didn't know that all of them were going to be able to get up this quickly. I mean, I think it's been, you know, a year and a half or so, and JC's in the 200s. Like you said, you named all the rankings and stuff. Colin, as well, is top 300 playing, like, eight weeks a year. Um and so it, it was amazing. But at the same time, like, I mean, Henrik's playing six. The guy beat Evan King 0-0 in a future. And, like, I would see it every single day in, in, in practice. And I knew that it wasn't normal. Like, we would say uh, Henrik could have been playing number one at a top five school. And, and JC, the same thing. I mean, it was it was unbelievable. So, I mean, going back to, like, you know, I was obviously p- pissed off at times that I couldn't play more singles. But, I mean, like, what the hell was I supposed to expect? Like, these guys were so, so good. Um you know that it, it just it had to work out that way and, and luckily i mean i i reaped the benefits of it because i was a part of a team with, with unbelievable talent um but yeah i mean it, it was it was a really high level of tennis you, you don't have to give me specifics but with all these guys so competitive how fiery did it get at practice you know were there ever times oh. you're like oh my god like these guys are hooking each other and it might come to blows Oh, yeah. No, it did come to blows. It, it, it did come to blows. I mean, there were certain and, – and Boland would do this strategically, but there were certain matchups in practice where you knew either somebody was going to get kicked off the court, there was going to be somebody coming over the net, there was going to be – I mean, like, there was just a scene with certain matchups. And obviously, it depends on the mood. And, you know, college, you know, you guys are – sometimes guys come into practice a little bit more tired. They're stressed with, with what's going on with exams and stuff like that. So – I mean, Boland, I, I bet he was doing this on purpose, but, you know, when we would come up for a big match, I mean, he would put Colin and JC to play each other. These guys would go to war. It was <laughs> like, I mean, a lot of times I would sit back, and it, it was annoying at times because they were so loud. I remember just screaming, telling them to shut the f*** up, like, every other time they played each other. Um, but, again, it brought out the best of everyone. I mean, that's what you want. You want to try to mimic, as uh, you know, a college tennis match as much as possible. And... Um, you know, some of the some of the practices got really, really intense, but obviously they definitely helped it out helped out in the long run. And with the continuity as well, I mean, you and Ryan played together two years. McIntyre mm-hmm. played together three years. J.C. Collin played together. I mean, mm-hmm. the rivalries build, right? Yeah. Oh, for sure. Uh, and, and for doubles, it happened that way too. I remember me and Ryan. It was a Saturday morning. Me and Ryan <laughs> played Mac and Ty on a Saturday morning with like. Brian as the chair umpire, and I don't remember what we put on the match. I mean, it was something pretty. Se- I think Mac ended up buying me like two K seven. Like I don't know. It was something that was like worth a decent amount of money. Like we were both pretty, you know, pretty tight. Obviously, the energy on a Saturday morning was was higher than usual because of the the stakes that we were putting on. But again, like that that kind of a dynamic makes it so much because the season's long. You know, obviously, you know, it, there's ups and downs throughout the season, and it can feel like it's long at times, but. Having that kind of a dynamic in practice keeps it fresh, and I think that uh, was one of the unique parts of, uh, of our team. Yeah, and, you know, we're around the 50-minute mark. I, I don't want to keep you for too long. Uh, so just a, a few more on your college, if that's all right, and then mm-hmm. I promise we'll move of on course. to the other fun stuff. I uh, appreciate that. Um, 
in, in terms of just sticking on after that junior season, and I did a little research. I checked out your LinkedIn. You speak Russian and Georgian. That is that's impressive. Yeah, yeah. I come from a, a Georgian family, and obviously with Russia being the massive neighboring country, um, you know, I speak it. I wouldn't say you know as well as I speak Georgian. I'm definitely not as well as I speak English, but I understand basically everything and speak Georgian at home. So I can't say it helps too much, uh, especially not not Georgian because there's only like three or four million people in the world. But uh, yeah, it's I guess like a, a fact that not many people know about me. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. Look, I half expected you to conduct the interview in different languages. I would have, I would have loved that. I would have enjoyed yeah. it. Um, it would have attracted a wider audience for sure. But yeah. I, I did notice as well that that junior summer, uh, you take an internship, uh, Chase mm-hmm. Investment Council Corporation. Obviously, that is off the tennis court. That is away mm-hmm. from the professional circuit, professional path that so many of your other teammates are on. And mm-hmm. is that the point in your life when you started thinking, okay, as you mentioned, the ball does stop bouncing. Maybe I want to see what I can do outside of this tennis thing. Yeah. I think, uh, at that point I sort of realized, you know, I wasn't maybe, I wasn't going to necessarily pursue a, a professional career in singles. I thought, okay, maybe I'll give it a go in doubles for, you know, for some time. And I wanted to just put something on the resume, you know, again, these seasons are really exhausting, especially when you like, you know, winning these championships, how much, you know, time and effort you put into to the program. It gets very exhausting. Some guys wanted to spend their summer summers playing and traveling. At that point, for me, it was more important that I sort of recharge the batteries and put something on the resume at the same time. So it was, um, yeah, it was a good change up. And I felt like, um, you know, it was definitely a, a different environment. But, you know, I was in Charlottesville anyway. I think I was taking a couple classes. So uh, online at that point so i think um yeah it was sort of like the best of both worlds and i'm just curious in terms of balancing training how, how are you doing mm-hmm. that I, I just can't imagine that's easy yeah luckily i mean luckily and unluckily i was um i wasn't able to hit for like seven or eight weeks that summer i had broken a finger oh. won't tell you how i broke a finger <laughs> though and i couldn't hit a tennis ball so luckily like i was you know still training and doing fitness in the mornings or after after work um but you know i wasn't able to hit a tennis ball anyway so it ended up working out where you know it wasn't you know i wasn't missing out you know just because of the job you know i wasn't able to hit hit a ball for for a while so um i was glad to be able to you know get some internship experience on the resume at the same time Uh, since you won't tell me the broken finger story again my memory might be off but i think (laughs) i remember many moons ago there's a tweet you were on like the best looking college athletes something is am i I right about that was that a Uh, thing rings a bell but yeah (laughs) oh come on be honest that was were you like like i'm a good looking mother no, 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 man. It's, I don't know who's running that uh, who's running that page, but uh, you know, shout out to them for for giving me a stroke to the ego. But um, no, that was cool. I don't know. I, I remember like getting that in like freshman year. You know, every every college has like the crushes page and stuff. But you know, I got wiped up pretty early, and that, that started to die out a little bit. So, but tell uh, me, tell me, you were like. Ty, you saw this, right? Like, Ty, come <laughs> no, on. <laughs> no, these guys give me so much shit for it. I would never. I mean, these guys are the first one. To, you know, I, I wouldn't want them to know because they'll they'll never let you know, never let it go and just make it into an absolute joke at all times. So, um, yeah, no, that was funny. I can only imagine. Well, then, getting into your senior year, uh, I, 
it, it would have been one thing just coming back off of back-to-back titles and defending that. It would have been another. You bring back all of this talent for a senior year. There's so much expected of you. But then the cherry on top of that, you know, Coach Bull announces he's taken the USTA job. He's leaving mm-hmm. Virginia at the end of the season. What is it like for you guys when you hear that news and just playing with that additional, I don't want to say burden, but just knowledge mm-hmm. throughout the year? Yeah, that was tough. I'm not going to lie. I mean, it was – it kind of came out of nowhere. I mean, every single summer we would hear rumblings about, you know, this, uh, you know, this federation wanting to hire Brian or that. And, you know, you, you always hear it just because obviously he was so successful. So he's going to be, you know, one of the top candidates for any tennis job uh, in the world. Um, and then all of a sudden it happened like out of nowhere. Obviously, I think uh, Parsa might have broken the news to me. And I remember calling like <laughs> Brian immediately. He didn't answer. And then. Yeah, we had like a out of nowhere, we got like um, an email about a team meeting the following morning, and I didn't want to like talk about it to anybody, but that's when he he let us know, and it was tough, man. It was it was emotional because everybody thinks of Brian Bolin, especially at that time. You think of Virginia tennis, you think of Brian Bolin, you know. And um, we were like halfway through the season, and for me, obviously, I was a senior and I was leaving, so I wasn't gonna like, you know, Brian and me were gonna leave at the same time, but it was more so just like being an alum and coming back and seeing how Brian was with the alums, you know, before me. I was like, man, that's gonna be different. It's gonna be so awkward not seeing him in the orange and blue. So that was really hard for us, but he made it really clear, like, listen, my every every part of me is in on this journey and is in on, you know, trying to get us to the end and and and, and you know, obviously, hopefully, end with a, a national championship. But, um, you know, we had to sort of channel that. And, and I think I mentioned it to a couple other people and, and told the guys we wanted to play for Brian. And, and, you know, like you said, winning a couple of championships in a row, you don't want to ever get complacent. And it was just sort of another uh, motivation for us to try to leave Brian out on the, on the highest note possible. So um, as sad as it was, it definitely fueled the fire uh, for that last run. And another big bonus going into that year, you guys, despite all of your success, had never won a national indoors. You're playing mm-hmm. again in Charlottesville. You know, you guys get that title over Ohio State. In in mm-hmm. particular, in that match, you get a 6-0 victory with Carl, uh, who was mm-hmm. a freshman at the time, at one doubles. I mean, this is such a hypothetical question, so take mm-hmm. it with a grain of salt, I guess. But rank that uh, in terms of the national titles, of the four team titles you won. Is that Oof. above the number four spot? Oh, gosh, yeah. I don't know. I mean, the NCAA is like is always yeah i mean i don't think it can be above the number four spot because the ncaa's are are such a big deal and you know obviously we think the indoors are really important and we want to win it whenever we're playing it but the end goal was always always in may and everything that we did leading up to may was to hopefully peak at the right time and and bring an ncaa title to uva and i think that is an actual you know national championship i know everybody thinks that you know ITA indoors, there you go, you made it, Natty Champs, whatever. But for us, internally, it was more about May. Um, but having said that, you know, feeling the pain that we felt losing the year before, being at home again, you know, last chance for the senior class to get it done and, and win indoors because we hadn't won it that, uh, at, at that point, it was, it was amazing. And that match was off the charts. I mean, it was so intense. It literally came down to the wire. So for us to, to beat Ohio State was, was special, especially because, you know, for that senior class as well, we had lost to Ohio State my freshman year in Chicago. So it was like, you know, everything sort of bundled up into one and made it really special. 
And you've mentioned throughout your time Ohio State, Wake Forest, North Carolina. You know, those are the big teams you guys were always coming up against. Baylor, Oklahoma as well should include them. Yeah. I'm sure in the moment it's very easy to, you know, foster rivalries, to find yeah. a reason to hate your opponent, to give yourself more motivation. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm just curious, you know, looking back on it, would you say – you know, in the moment, yes, that's how you viewed these guys. Not only as uh, you know, college or not as college tennis players, but you know, these are the rivals. These are the guys yeah. you have to beat. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, in the moment, you're you hate them. You hate everything about them. You hate the colors. You hate the the guys on the team. It's just it's just natural because you know it's like the most intense competitive uh, situation possible playing against these guys. And then at the end of the year, when it sort of boils, like when, when it starts to go away, you start to be able to see these guys at futures and it's a little bit more cordial. But, um, you know, looking back on it now, sort of being two years out and seeing some of these programs, you start to appreciate a lot of what these guys are doing. And you, it's, it's much more of a mutual respect, I feel like, than, than anything else. Yeah, and I, I you know, Ty Tucker, I, I've talked to him a couple times. He's a frustrating guy, and I like mm-hmm. him. And I'm yeah. still frustrated by him, so you know I can only imagine what it's like to compete against him. Um, mm-hmm. you, you know, my last question for you about your college time, and it, it doesn't necessarily relate just to you, but just as the sport in general, as you saw so many teammates go on to success in the pros, we see guys mm-hmm. now. You know, you mentioned Evan King. You've got the Torpegards, the the yeah. Cobelts, uh, all of these. I could go, you know, the Yannick Hoffmans, the yeah. Carusels. You could go throughout all of these lists, and yet uh, it, the question it seems like really comes up with this new ITF transition tour rules is college a viable pathway for people who have professional tennis aspirations and I'm just curious you know you didn't go pro but still yeah. you were at the the finest uh, program you could have been in, in terms of developing pro talent at that time mm-hmm. do you think it's a viable pathway for players with professional you know aspirations 110 percent man and uh you know obviously like I like you said I didn't go pro and you know I was a part of a team that had a bunch of the guys now playing on tour and I have really really close relationships with a lot of the top Americans and just in general from playing juniors there are a lot of guys that are now pursuing a professional career that I know really well and I think that they would agree that college tennis I personally I think that if you're not winning challengers and you're not you know close to you know 200 250 I think college tennis is a must because it teaches you so much about the game of tennis in terms of how to compete and letting your body develop while being in really high you know stress situations it's it's i think so so helpful for so many people and i think unless you're one of these you know exceptions and you're unbelievable at 17 18 years old i don't see how you could turn that down i think having that with getting an education and being able to um you know utilize all the resources that a lot of these top programs have I think it's a, it's a must, but again, everybody's you know in control of their own careers. But college tennis, one hundred ten percent, is a very viable option for somebody who wants to play professional tennis. And I think you have a unique perspective because you spent time in Boca, you know, with mm-hmm. Ty, who went the college path with you, but with guys like Tommy Riley, mm-hmm. who I know a little younger, but I'm sure you saw them. All, uh, there are others yeah. I could name as well. You also were at JTCC. You got the Dennis Kudla, the Francis mm-hmm. Tiafo experience, all of these guys. And, you know, I'm sure you have some great stories about them you could share. But yeah. w- what do you see as, uh, you know, we talk about these Americans on tour having success now. Could you see it from a young age? You know, you saw the talent there. And what do you think? has led to these guys having this success in the pros that we're seeing now yeah i mean i think with certain guys i could see it for sure i mean obviously like riley at seven feet tall you know that the guy (laughs) and and with just how good he is as a tennis player you know a guy like him is probably going to make it at some point um and i 
honestly, I think that there was a big difference than, I guess I was born in 95 and, you know, just being in Boca and, and a lot of us, aside from Mackie, I guess at this point, dealt with a lot of the same things. And I felt like the younger generation, the 97s, 98s, they were sort of able to learn from all the mistakes we made. And these guys were fearless. A lot of the times when the 95 classes would, you know, maybe feel a little bit more pressure or, um, you know, underperform because of distractions that had nothing to do with tennis. These 97s and 98s were were absolutely fearless, and it led to them being able to develop much, much faster. And you can sort of see it when they're out on tour now. I mean, you see guys like Fritz and Francis and Riley and Tommy, and all these guys are going on stadium courts at the biggest events, and these guys look like they, they, they know that they belong there. And I think that's a massive difference, and I think confidence in tennis is so huge, and these guys all have it. And I think uh, it really goes a long way, and it, it makes a big difference for all the guys across the board. I don't want to force you into you know tough predictions. Who's going to go furthest? All of these things, but I'm curious in this group that you know this crop of Americans. You can talk about on the women's side as well. You've got you know Kennan, Bellis, uh, Osegwe, on and on and on. And I'm I'm just curious. What is your assessment as someone who is part of the development uh, the v- developmental program on the state of U.S. tennis? You know, in 2019. I think you know both on the men's and women's. I mean, I don't know too many of the the girls uh, personally and I didn't really see them and I, I can't say that I've kept up as much as I should but on the guy's side I think it's it's really really positive and I think you know obviously everybody wants American tennis to be you know like it was in the 90s right now but it's going to take some time but we've got so many good guys that I think have the potential to you know be Grand Slam champions and be top tenors you know regularly whether it's you know like I said Riley Francis Fritz then you get the guys that are, um, you know, below 100 that are, you know, dealing with some, whether it's injuries or bumps. And then obviously the guys that are in college as well. I mean, I think there are so many good players. And I think that, um, you know, the system is only getting better and the opportunities are increasing, especially for the guys that are, you know, sort of past the transition tour and, you know, sort of on the challengers on. I think that there's just too much talent. And I think that these guys have been able to learn from mistakes made for so long (laughs) that the state of American tennis is looking really bright. It just might take a little bit of time to really be competing for Grand Slams every single time. Sure, and uh, if you don't mind, we're, I'm just going to bounce around now to a bunch of topics. Sound good? Okay. Yeah, perfect. All right, cool. Well, then, you, you talk about following tennis. I, look, you played at a much higher level than me, but I'm saying I can sympathize of when you have tennis taken away from your life, you know, you it, it, there's withdrawal. You know, you lo- it's yeah. a big hole, and I can only imagine for you, you're doing it full time. Mm-hmm. H- how does Luca Corintelli get his tennis fixed nowadays? How I get my tennis fixed? Obviously, with you guys, that, that, that that's for sure. Um, but yeah, obviously, I'm on Twitter all the time. I have really, really close relationships with a lot of guys that are on tour. Some of my best friends, you know, whether it's Riley and Francis and Ty and and all the guys that are that are doing this week in and week out. Um, you know, I get to hear a lot of the details and a lot of the stories from you know each tournament and stuff. So I, I feel like I'm still in the loop, even though I haven't played a tournament in close to two years. And obviously, I'm not playing anymore. Um, you know, I, I, I'm really, you know, fortunate for the relationships I have with those guys, and, and I hear from them on a daily basis, so I don't necessarily feel like I'm on the outside looking in still, um, and it sort of gives me a unique perspective on, on what's going on and, and, and sort of the, the status of the game right now, so um, it, it's exciting, and I'm looking forward to the next couple of weeks. I know there's big tournaments coming up, so it should be it should be a lot of fun for tennis fans across the world. No, for sure, and I, I'm just curious. Luca Corintelli today plays Luca Corintelli going into that UNC final match your senior year. What's that mm. score look like? In singles? Yeah, for sure. Oh, man, I don't know. It, it just depends on which Luca shows up because, you know, I mean, <laughs> if, if a good Luca shows up. A lot up, of big serves. Yeah, I mean, a lot of it is big serves, bluffing my way to the net, slicing around. <laughs> 
Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think right now I'd probably I'd probably lose uh, three and three. Um, oh. You know, more so I, I get rusty quick, and I can't say that I'm playing as much <laughs> as I should be. So I don't know how competitive it would be, but I would bring the fire for sure. There would be a lot of uh, a lot of noise on court. Look, while we're in the hypothetical realm, Luca and Ryan play Luca and Carl. What's that score look like? Oof, man, that's a tough question because I don't want to piss. <laughs> I don't want to piss anybody off. I mean, me and Ryan were good. Me and Ryan were really good, and uh, not saying that me and Carl were not good. I just think that you know we sort of. I mean, me and Ryan were able to establish a, a partnership and playing for two full seasons, and even playing a fall together. And Carl was injured that you know his freshman year for you know like a portion of the season, and. With the way that the format was, I think like me and Carl were ranked eight in the country, and we weren't able to play NCAA's because we didn't finish enough matches. So yeah, I would ridiculous. have to go with uh, you know Ryan and I, but again, it depends at which Carl and Luca show up because the one that showed up in the finals of indoors was was special, and I feel like that one could give a, give us a run for our money. Oh, I like. Well, while we're on the on this topic, you you guys together for two years or two, uh, maybe a little more than that. Uh, Mac and Ty obviously together for three years. Mm-hmm. Uh, you played millions of times in practice. What's that lifetime record look like? Honestly, I, I hope Ty would agree with me on this because I feel like he knows just the same way I know. Like we got them a lot, and it was just so much <laughs> that we were like. I mean, there were no secrets, so they knew where we were going. We knew where they were going. I knew exactly where Ty was serving. I don't want to say it on here because I don't want to, like, I mean, it's his go-to in doubles. But I knew where he was serving, so we got them more than they got us. But it was I would say it was like a 60-40 uh, in favor of us. Hardest you ever saw Ryan Shane, A, hit a serve, and B, hmm. peg someone else? Hardest, I mean, he did this one thing with Bleacher Report, I think. It must have been his senior year where he hit a serve and, like, a couple of the other UVA athletes, like, you know, basketball, soccer, everybody, they were trying to, like, you know, return his serve. And actually a good friend of mine who was the soccer goalie for the women's team was trying to return one of his serves, and he clocked it body and hit her right in the eye. That one was tough. That one was not good. She was, she was in a lot of pain. Uh, he felt like shit about it, but... <laughs> that one was probably one of the biggest serves I've ever seen him hit, and uh, yeah, it, it was it was no good. Oh, that is so funny. I can only man. I mean, that's got to be the most fun part. We we've talked about this already, but just the competition in practice. Uh, mm-hmm. It's it, it had to have been tremendous. All right, we're, we're moving around the the block. Um, I guess take away from college tennis. If there's anything now you think college tennis could do to better promote itself uh, again mm-hmm. and you don't have to flatter us you, you've done enough of that but just in general because I, i've read a stat that of all the non-revenue sports so not football not basketball mm-hmm. uh, and not baseball college tennis has the highest retention rate amongst mm-hmm. fans who actually go to the event mm-hmm. and so so clearly it has something going for it and i'm just curious you, you know you played it at the highest level what do you think yeah. the sport needs to do to continue to grow Honestly, I think, um, you know, individually with the, you know, the university and I think the NCAA for NCAA tournament, for the NCAA tournament play, I think being able to, um, I guess, market it in a way where, you know, they're really putting in a lot to get us to fill the stands as much as possible. And I think one thing that could help out with that is to sort of, I feel like tennis still, and sometimes in college tennis even, it's still too clean cut and, you know, people need to be quiet and, you know, you can't play specific music and you don't want it to get rowdy. I think that's what people show up for, you know, that they go, go to college baseball games and they go to college football and basketball games because people can talk in the stands and, you know, there isn't somebody who's policing everything that's going on. And I think that's what makes it more enjoyable 
for the fan base. It makes it more enjoyable, honestly, for the players. And I know that I think it was like 2015 or 2016 when they were doing that in the Big 12. I was all about it. And I think <laughs> if you look back on the attendance for those matches, it seemed like every single match was packed. And um, I think if they want to continue growing the sport, obviously you want to be able to manage that where people aren't like getting into fist fights and there aren't like, you know, drunk people running across the court and stuff like that. <laughs> but being able to make it a little bit more loose so fans feel comfortable going and you can have, you know, fraternities and sororities come out to the matches and, you know, people don't feel like they need to be somewhere and be quiet for three hours to enjoy, you know, a sporting event. I think that that would help out a lot. Counterpoint, Ryan just clocking some drunk guy crossing the mm. court would be must-see television. That yeah, would be... it would be must-see. Yeah, I, I think Ryan doesn't have a bad bone in his body, though, so I don't think <laughs> he would do it even if somebody was really pissed off at him. Um, but, uh, yeah, that would be must-see television for sure. Yeah. And one of my theories I, I want to throw you in, it's ridiculous, and I know one of the hardest part about NCAA is it's so much tennis in such a condensed time, or at least yeah. it used to be you had the round of 16 and then individuals starting right after. Mm-hmm. So if your teammates, as they often did, made, you know, deep NCAA runs they'd just be mm-hmm. gassed at the end but what if instead of doing that you, you space the events a little bit and in between the team and the individual you have the college tennis all-star game and we can debate how you qualify for it later but you do labor uh-huh. cup format you know five guys five girls on each team and we mm-hmm. have and like that's the middle day event that gives them the day off it's a light day you play maybe mm-hmm. one set of tennis at most and and that's how you try and draw fans crazy idea no, I think it'd be fun. Again, I think um, it would be hard to get a lot of the coaches to agree to that. I think just because, you know, when you're getting into the end of the season and, you know, guys' bodies are probably beat up, I think the only challenge, I guess, with getting that approved is to get some of these star players to, you know, maybe on an off day or, you know, a day they're trying to manage their body. Like, you know, tennis players are weird, man. Like, they feel like one off day, <laughs> like, they could throw off their rhythm. And if you're going to tell Brian, like, hey, we're going to send Brian out there and – you know, he's just going to play a set of mixed doubles or whatever it is, and God forbid he loses his rhythm, Brian's going to be irate. So, like, <laughs> I think that's going to be the only challenging part. But doing something like that, I think, would actually attract a lot of attention. You get the best players, you know, from each team or whatever it is and have, like, a specific event, whether it's in the fall or at some point in the down part of the season in the spring. Um, I think that would be really fun, yeah. I mean, they they had the collegiate event at the U.S. Open. That would be, right, The you could replace it with that, hypothetically. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, that would be awesome. All right, I'll captain one team. You can captain the other. Okay. All right, Tim Russell, you heard that. Um, Yeah, all right, uh, a couple more, and then I promise I'll let you go. Um, On this side of of the ATP Tour, there are a lot of next-gen talent, and I consider us next-gen because 95 Uh is not that old. You're crazy if you think otherwise. Um, We have so many, you know, Zverev, Tsitsipas, Chorich, Medvedev, Kachanov, all of the – you go on and on and on and on. What do you think of this rising group of talent? And it, just hypothetically, who do you think is the guy who breaks through first, wins the first slam? Oof, that's tough. Yeah, I mean, these guys are so good. I mean, like all the young guys from, I feel like, the 95s and up, all these guys are so good. And I think it's sort of like a, a cycle now at this point where, you know, I think in the early 2000s, guys that were like 18, 19, 20, 21, they were at the top of the ATP rankings, and it sort of took a backseat for a while. But so many of these guys are so good and I think again it all comes down to belief like these guys feel like regardless of them being 2021 Tsitsipas is at the Australian Open and he truly believes that he should be beating Federer and the guy comes up with a massive upset and I think um, you know just that mindset is what makes these guys so special in terms of who's going to break through first I don't know personally I think Zverev is the most ready but he's come up short in so many grand slams so I don't know if it's something that's 
you know, like he's getting tight during Grand Slams or there's too much um, going on in his team. I don't know what it is, but this guy's won, I don't know how many Masters at this point, and he's beaten guys in the top five. He's been in the top five for like a year and a half already at this point. So I would think that if he can get it going and not go five sets in the first three rounds of a slam, I would pick him. But, you know, it, it's, it's a crapshoot because so many of these guys are so good. It's half the fun of watching the tour right now is there's so many talented guys. I mean, we saw, I think, Laszlo Jure, who's yeah. 95, maybe 94, win a title this week yeah. over Felix Ogier-Alessim. Obviously, that's both young guys. It's mm-hmm. it's so exciting to watch. Uh, another fun topic, ATP style. Does Novak Djokovic pass Roger Federer? I'm convinced he will. I think he's at, what, 15 now, so five more. You're telling me Novak Djokovic isn't going to win he, at least— isn't or maybe fourteen or fifteen? Hold on, I will look no, this up I as you ponder your answer. 15. I thought he was close. I thought he was. Wait, so what? Nadal's at seventeen. Nadal's at seventeen. Federer's obviously at twenty. Hold on, let me look this up. He's at either fifteen or sixteen. Uh-huh. I, I'm not. Yeah, I, I will. 15. But I, either way, does he pass him? Uh, hmm. How? Yeah, I think. God, five Grand Slams. Yeah, I think he. I think he'll pass him. If I had to make a bet, I think I'll pass him because... Here we go. Federer 20, Nadal like, 17. Eight. Sorry, Djokovic 15. Okay. And unless he has one of the injuries that he had like with his elbow, I think if he stays healthy... Because I don't know if Roger has another one left in him. He might have one more. I think Novak has probably three or four more dominant years on tour. And I think if he can get one a year, which I think is... you know Sometimes he can go off for two or three. Um, I, think, I think he'll catch him. So that's a spicy one. Could. Yeah, here that's the that's the, who ends up with more slams, Djokovic or Nadal? I'm gonna go Djokovic because he can win on all I think all services. I don't know if Nadal's gonna get another hard court slam. It, it's a good pick. I, I completely agree. I, I'm like a hundred percent. I just Djokovic is going to win at least two more grands. Yeah, at it, at least two though, more. In my mind, I think even if he gets the number, I wouldn't consider him the goat. I think Federer is, is oh. <laughs> which is another topic that we can discuss at another time, but. Yeah, I don't know. Man. Federer is the goat to me. I don't know. If, I don't know if the number is gonna have to is gonna take over from Jan Djokovic. Only guy to win every Masters tournament. I think he's got the most Masters titles of all time. Yeah, he's still got time to pad his stats. He's the only guy yeah. with winning winning records over Federer and Nadal. I think what oh, we're gonna wow. what it's gonna end up being. You talked about the individuals in terms of all the college stuff. Yeah. I think it's just gonna be you know Federer's the best on grass. Yeah. Uh, Nadal's the best on clay. Djokovic's the best on hard court. And you're gonna just have to leave it there because it's gonna be splitting hairs yeah, so much. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that, that that's definitely fair. <laughs> All right, last last tricky topic, and then uh, some UVA rapid fire, and I promise I'll let you go. No, um, sure. So it, it's a bit – you talked about being part of the tennis Twitter community. Nothing mm-hmm. sets tennis Twitter aflame like the debate two out of three sets versus three out of five. Mm-hmm. I would be fine with the compromise of two out of the three – or two out of three sets the first week, make it a you know, more ch- higher chance for upsets, make it a little more uh-huh. thrilling, and then three out of five week two. Where do you stand on that? I am firm on three out of five. I think uh, a purist. Yeah, I, I just think because there's so much, like you said, two out of three more chances for upsets and stuff. But there is that element of tennis where you got to be able to stay, sustain it for a three to three out of five set match. I think fitness is such a big part of the tennis game in general. I think um, the best players who can sustain it over three or four hours. I know it can get boring at times to some people, but for I, I don't know, man. I, I've just been set on three out of five. I think that there would be far too many upsets to the point where. You know, if a guy is not feeling it for the, how many times do you see, you know, one of the main guys um, go down two sets early in a slam just because they're getting warmed up? Like you would, you would hate to see somebody get bounced out because of that. And I think 
again, the element of the fitness factor in tennis and being able to sustain it for a best of five match, I think you got to keep that in slams. I think the Masters, they took away the best of five in the final and everything is two out of three. And that's why you see, you know, Sock win the Masters and obviously Zverev has won so many catching off. I think the, the, the Grand Slams, though, are, are a much bigger deal. And I think they need to be sort of three out of five just to solidify who is the best across the board in terms of fitness, tennis, abilities, all that included. I know it's important for tennis to have big names for marketing reasons, obviously, but the thrill of it, if, if tennis went, let's say they stayed three out of five but went no ad at the slams or they changed it to two out of three, there's an argument you can make, right, that upsets would be good for the sport. It would make, you know, that those two weeks of tennis that much more interesting. Maybe the finals, the ratings would hurt if it's, and I'm, I'm sorry to these two guys, like Sosa versus Lorenzi. Yeah, like, no yeah. one's probably watching that. That's a worst-case scenario. Though, I'd but be, I'd be way more about it if it was a no-ad and best-of-five. I think no-ad and yeah. best-of-five, I think, would still be, again, because for the sake of the fans and, and the engagement, we just talked about how awesome no-ad points are and how it's you know, such high-pressure moments. And I think to be able to watch the best players who ever played the game play a deuce point in a fifth set would be insane because it just adds adds an extra element of, okay, like that clutch factor that you don't necessarily see all the time in tennis like you do in sports like basketball or, you know, you know, a two-minute drive in football. Like that would just add another element where this could be the most clutch tennis player. And a lot of times we don't talk about that because tennis, you know, it's a deuce point at five all. You save a break point. You hit an ace, all that stuff. If it was boiling down to one point, I think that that would um, that would be really cool for tennis fans for sure. Completely agree. Another thing I think's been interesting. They're clearly trying to harbor or harp in on this, trying to maximize it. The team aspect, right? You've got the World Tennis mm-hmm. Tour, you've got uh, the Laver Cup, which is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Davis Cup doing whatever it is. Davis Cup's trying to do Fed Cup, and. I mean, you can never – there's never going to be the NFL of tennis, right? Roger Federer is never yeah. going to play for the Detroit tennisers. That's just yeah. not a thing. Mm-hmm. But there, but there's got to be some way to expand on that team component because to me that's when tennis is most fun. Yeah, I would agree. And I think I – mean, I remember Brian and, and me, Brian, and Ty, we spoke about this you know, a couple of times on how they can get some sort of a, you know, a, tennis, a team tennis going in tennis that's serious but – I just I don't know. I feel like it's it we're uh, further away from that than than we should be. I think obviously Labor Cup, you get that excitement, you get that, you know, it, it's just a different dynamic when watching. You see guys that normally go at each other's necks playing on the same team. You know, it, it, it's it's amazing. But I don't know how they would be able to work it in the schedule. And there are so many people at the top, and in and, and politically, obviously, getting into it, it'd be such a mountain to climb to be able to get some sort of team tennis going that's more serious than like world team tennis. Um, you know, I, I just don't know how they'd be able to work that out, but I'd be all for it. No, you, there's already compensation issues at the futures level. Imagine yeah. being the 200th guy on the world tennis team roster. Yeah, that no, is just not, you know, yeah, it's not going to work, but you know, hopefully they ex- figure it out somehow. Exactly. Well, I've kept you long enough. Let's do our final segment. We like to end these with a rapid fire. West off, if you could cue the rapid fire sound effect, please. So, Luca, when I had Ty on here, when I had JC on here, I, of course, had to ask them some questions about their time at UVA and their teammates because that's who you're spending the most time with while you're in college. You get to know them the best. So I'm run you through some of those questions. Sound good? Sounds good. All right. We'll start with an easy one. Favorite practice partner? Favorite practice partner? I'd have to go with Henrik. Yeah, just grinder. Yeah, I mean, he just hits a solid ball. You know, it gives you a good rhythm. I say Ty is pretty good too, but Ty's just got sometimes he puts too much spin and stuff messes up my rhythm. <laughs> I, would, I would have to go with Henrik. I like it. Well, 
guy you enjoyed hooking the most in practice? The guy that I enjoyed hooking the most in practice, for sure, JC. 100%. <laughs> I loved it. I would do it on purpose sometimes just because he knew he knew what I was doing. And uh, his reactions were, were unbelievable. So, for sure, JC. <laughs> most eccentric teammate you had on the court? Is it Ty? Mm. It's got to be Ty, right? Yeah, Ty. That's, that's an easy one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, all right. I guess this isn't a rapid fire question, but when you're playing with someone who is literally shouting at the yeah. top of his lungs, mm-hmm. does that throw off your rhythm? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Colin, it's not like Colin was the quiet, you know, was the quiet <laughs> one either. I mean, a lot of times our dual matches, you know, you couldn't hear anything with Ty and Colin going crazy. But um, yeah, no, I mean, it, it definitely messes with people because it's so hard to focus when somebody is. Is, is is out there like that but you know ty got better at it for sure i mean there were some times where it was uncontrollable and luckily he was able to channel it in a way where he can actually not play professional tennis and not get fined every week so uh, i'm happy that he's kind of gotten over that uh gotten over that hump yeah all right bigger mistake and I, i'm sure you've seen the photos brian bullen with the mullet or colin's decision to grow his hair out that last year i gotta go i don't know man i'm gonna go with brian just because colin he grew it out it looked weird, but he rocked it. Like, he was so – he was all about it, and, like, we offered him so much money to cut it, and he was just like, nah, man, I'm not cutting it. I'm, I'm going to try to ride this wave. I'm going to try to be, you know, the Cali bro whatever, and, and, and he rocked it. I mean, he would put the ponytail on when we would go out, and, um, you know, he didn't feel awkward about it. So I, I think Brian's mullet picture definitely takes the title. <laughs> I like hearing that. Well, how about this? Funniest teammate in your time there? Funniest? I'd have to go with Ash. <laughs> really? Ash is, that... a, yeah. I mean, you you leave. Yeah, I mean, you could be on like a an eight hour bus ride, and Ash will make the entire bus laugh the entire the entire ride. It, it's crazy to me that he's still in college. I just feel like he's been around forever. I um, know. <laughs> guy who took advantage of his red shirt, right? Uh, yeah, exactly. I think he only had three years of eligibility, so um, coming in. So I think like if it wasn't for that, he might have had another year, but. Um, yeah, no, Ash is, Ash is a comedian. I, I should have asked you this earlier, but speaking of current who's, what are your thoughts on this year's team? National title contenders? Contenders for sure. I mean, this team from top to bottom is, is, is super competitive. Carl's playing at a really high level. The guy's winning against some of the best number ones in the country. Obviously, Brandon is one of the top juniors in the country. Henrik, leadership abilities and how good he is. I mean, this team is well coached and there there are no you know there are no spots that have question marks i think this team is really good and i think if they can peak at the right time for sure national title contenders it's fascinating to me you know after three years just playing singles uh henrik now jumps in at two doubles with nakashima i got to see them play in chicago and it's an, i mean henrik's a good doubles player he's unbelievable oh, he's so good he's <laughs> the best returns on the team i played with henrik when carl got hurt my his what was it that, my senior year yeah, that UNC match. Or, yeah, sorry, that's just the one that sticks we were, out. I mean, we were good. Obviously, like, I mean, the, the, he doesn't miss a return. That's one of the biggest things in doubles. And he plays real close to the net. He's able to put volleys away. I mean, Henrik is really good. We just had teams that were set for a while, and it didn't really work out in terms of, uh, you know, like partnerships. But Henrik is a damn good doubles player. Yeah, well, look, it, this is going to come uh, sound way creepy because I don't actually know them and you do, but another mm-hmm. poor hair choices, Carl and Henrik. Oh, my God. It's, yeah, so it's a update lot. update on Henrik. Update on Henrik. He has shaved his head, so now it's just a butt <laughs> cut. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I thought that I'd gave him, I gave him enough for him, to, for him to cut it a couple of months ago, but that has been taken care of. And then Carl, I think it's a similar to, like, the Colin situation. I've tried telling him to cut it. 
I don't know. These guys, he's a Viking, so like you can sort of tie it up and, and, and look like he's heading to war. But um, yeah, man, I don't know. I wouldn't put that. I wouldn't do that with my hair. But these I'm, guys, uh, I'm, I'm blanking out. Who, who's? Oh, he looks like Tarzan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he's Thor. He also looks like Thor. <laughs> Yeah. He does not look like Thor. I'm sorry. Much. More. He looks like he's lost in the wild and he needs yeah, to shower. Yeah, I don't know. He just. I think he's got to cut it. But I mean, <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure he'll come around to it because I can't see that. I, I wouldn't say that that's helping um, on the corner in Charlottesville. But man, maybe yeah. maybe he can prove me wrong. No, for sure. More power to him. Uh, getting back to your teammates. Uh, best to get dinner with. Uh, best to get dinner with. I'll go with Ty. Yeah, good. I can only yeah, imagine. Yeah, so much that. to talk about. I mean, we've been, yeah. basically the, been together for like nine years. So this one caused controversy on Twitter, I believe, when mm-hmm. I asked Ty. So I'm going to ask you this: best to go out with? Best to go out with? Ah, uh, that's tough. Uh I mean, it, it kind of depends. I mean, the most entertaining JC's an absolute movie when he's out. It's sometimes <laughs> like. I don't want to say it gets out of control, but you will never be bored, and he'll turn, uh, you know, a situation where there's not much going on into, you know, an absolute crazy night. Um, also, <laughs> love going out with Ty as well and Ash. I mean, all these guys, and we had so many fun nights. But I'll, I'll go with Ty again, just because. Um, yeah, we got a good dynamic going out. It's, it's definitely <laughs> a lot of fun. I'll keep it at that. For sure, cheapest member of the team. Cheapest member, Henrik. I think Henrik's the cheapest. <laughs> I mean, yeah, he lives and dies by Costco. I mean, yeah, Costco is great. I love Costco, but um, he he's got it. Yeah, he's got it like all calculated and stuff. So I would have to go with Henrik. No, I I can only imagine. Um, all right, well then, my last question for you, and I'm sure this will lead to a little bit of a debate, but have to end here. We talked about it earlier. The best Virginia team in the program's history is best team has to be. Man, this is tough. I'm gonna go with the twin, the 2000. God, I don't know, man. Okay, so oh. let's knock some out real quick. I okay. think I, that's the easiest way. Let's go by process of elimination. We're gonna okay. throw out that freshman year team was really good, yeah, but they but lose the doubles point. I think that yeah, I, I think yeah, the doubles was tough, and then I mean potentially like obviously Damo was almost unstoppable, but. You know, he had a couple like random losses, and that I don't know. Let's throw out the 2014 because they didn't win it. Uh, yeah. We didn't win it, whatever. But um, yeah, I just think that there wasn't as many strengths at the bottom of the lineup as there were in some other teams. The team that comes up all the time is a t- 2018 with Teddy Angelinos at six. I don't oh. think he ever lost a match. I think Sande was undefeated at one. They didn't lose a single doubles point the entire year, and Teddy was undefeated at six. So you were basically going into every match up three zero. And I don't think we had that in any of the of the other teams. I mean, like, we, we would never lose more than, like, four or five doubles points a year when I was there. But one wasn't, like, an automatic lock the way Somdev was. And six was, but, like, I don't know, man. That 2018 was dirty. But, again, they didn't get the title <laughs> at the end of the year. So I don't know if you can make them the best team. So I'm so see you're well versed in the history, so we can have a great conversation here. Mm-hmm. I think that 08 team 100 percent deserves. Uh, you know, you have Trait Huey and Somdev who just did not lose at one yeah. doubles. That's an incredible Dom Inglot, top 30 in the world in doubles. Yeah. He's playing with Teddy at two. You know, three doubles is where things get a little bit tricky for them. But I think that 08 team has Shabazz and Sanam Singh, two obviously yeah. incredible talents now from the video. And I don't know him, so I'm sorry for slandering you. But Shabazz looked a little heavy his freshman year. 
here. Yeah, um, yeah, he was eating. And, and Samdev's Sam puberty still hadn't hit puberty at that point. And mm-hmm. so, you know, they're a smaller. So that they may, you know, three doubles gets interesting. But then, you know, Trait at two, there's a reason he plays doubles. Dom at three, there's yeah. a reason he plays doubles. So that that's where, you, and, you know, Teddy's good. But he wasn't winning futures. Henrik yeah, was winning exactly. futures. JC's winning I futures. So many teams. I think so many teams. Like you could take parts of each individual team. Like I think, for example, the 2017 team. I think the bottom of the lineup. When you have Colin at four, you have JC at five, and you have Henrik That's at six. Ridiculous. Is, is is unstoppable, right? But at the same time, like the one, two, and three. Although Richie, Ty, and Carl were very good and were winning majority of the time like there were a couple of you know top threes i think um you know ryan at one when he was playing the way he was in 2015 mitchell at two and i think colin at three was or alec alex mitchell ryan your freshman i mean ryan at three at the end of the year was as solid of a point as you'll get what was it in 2013 when they won it was uh jameer uh damo mitchell that's got to be the strongest top three That, that top three is insane so, ready? Uh, here's the team that I think has the best case that did not win a title. The 2011, or yeah, the 11 team with yep. Shabazz. Freshman year, Damajan was the best play, like the most amazing thing I've ever seen. And what yeah. am I saying? I've seen video, but it's just phenomenal. Sonam at three, former number one in the country. Jameer at four is a joke. Yeah. Yeah, that, that that's insane. What, what what was Drew Courtney playing? Was he Was he even playing singles? So he was injured, I think, at the end of that season. But he would have lined up at five, and then Julian Justin at six. I mean, yeah. that, that team is yeah. undefeated till they get to the win. yeah undefeated till they get to that NCAA final. Sonam's right there. Dan D win makes the diving volley, whatever. Yeah, it's that tough to beat. That one hurt Brian for a while. It's just so tough because again, like if you try to do the matchups, there are certain spots that like. I think regardless of whatever team you put up, I don't think JC's losing at five or six against any of the teams. I think JC, like the clutch factor, just how good he is, like five and six, I don't think JC's losing. Uh, there are certain teams that, like, again, they didn't lose a doubles point the entire year or, you know, Samdev was undefeated at one or Shiba. It just, it's, it's almost impossible to say which team's the best because I honestly think that there are better teams than the teams that won it when I was there. Um, but at the same time, like, I don't know. It's who gets done at the end of the year. So, <laughs> yeah, and I, I look. I'm sure anyone who's not interested in Virginia tennis history has tuned out. But the team I always end up going with, and it, it's tough. But I go with that sophomore year team of yours, the one that won at mm-hmm. Baylor. Ryan, at the end of the year, he won NCAA's. He got hot. I mean, yeah. when when he's he will hit you off the court. It doesn't matter who you are. It sounds like a gun's firing when the ball makes contact with his strings. Yeah, he was and unstoppable so, like, in Waco. I mean, that guy was he, – he could have been playing anybody top 100. I mean, he was he was a different level. He was completely yeah. locked in. And then Mitchell at two. And just mm-hmm. a team so deep, Henrik was on the bench. Yeah, I, like, Henrik, that's, yeah. Yeah, that's crazy that, that to team, me. That team was probably, yeah, I would say our strongest and um, – yeah, I mean, just because so many guys were playing at such a high level at the same time, obviously, like in other seasons, certain guys are playing well, other guys are struggling. I think that team, the way it peaked at the right time and everybody was playing at such a high level, I think 2015 would probably beat out any of the other teams that we won with. But again, it comes down to like a couple points here and there. Um, yeah, uh, always, no ad scoring. Captured. No ad scoring, it's tight. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, we we can leave that there, and I appreciate you. I appreciate getting an actual opinion someone of someone who was playing in there. Um, so thank you so much, and thank you again for taking the time to do this. You know, we really appreciate it. Uh, any, any final thoughts you'd like to share? Yeah, no, I mean, this has been a lot of fun. I think, uh, like I said earlier, if anybody's you know in, interested in college tennis or professional tennis, this is the this is the place to to listen in and, and, and gather information. I think what you guys are doing is amazing, and I'm really looking forward to. Um, listening in on future podcasts and, and watching you guys grow. So thank you so much for having me on. Of course, and I'll say this. If you listen back to this episode, the most shocking part is the tone of your own voice. You're like, wow. Well, you've got a, like a fine voice. I was like, damn it, I'm an alto. Like my voice is so high. And so, no, no, you know, when- no, 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 man. I, I, been, <laughs> my voice has been like this since I was like 13 too, so I bet a couple of the guys are going to get for this, but – Oh, for sure. Well, again, Luca, thank you so much for taking the time. Good luck with all that you're doing. And we'll, we'll get you back on the podcast sometime soon. Anytime thank you, you so think much, something man. interesting, yeah, anytime you find something interesting you want to hop on, just let me know. Definitely. Will do, man. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, of course. And take care.